This episode is sponsored by Paleo Valley's pasture-raised chicken sticks. I'm super excited to share Paleo Valley's brand new pasture-raised chicken sticks. These chicken sticks are made from 100% pasture-raised chicken and organic spices that are preserved using natural fermentation rather than preservatives. So yes, no fake stuff or additives here. These chicken sticks are sourced from regenerative family farms raised on American pastures and each stick is free of chemicals, antibiotics, pesticides, and added hormones. Paleo Valley's chicken sticks are a perfect snack packed with 7 grams of protein and frankly, a great value without skimping on quality. Make sure to support this podcast and head over to paleovalley.com slash nwj and use code nwj to get 15% off your order. Thanks again for listening and supporting this podcast. Hey guys, it's Judy from Nutrition with Judy. Thanks for joining me today. While you're here, please make sure to like and subscribe, hit the red button. If you're listening to this on podcast, please make sure to leave a review as this allows my content to get in front of more people. And thank you for that. My name is Judy Cho and I'm board certified in holistic nutrition. I have a private practice where we focus on root cause healing. And oftentimes it starts with the carnivore cures meat only elimination diet. So today I had the pleasure of sitting down with Joel Salatin. He is the face of the Polyface Farms. Most of you probably already have heard of him or know of him, but it was such a wonderful discussion. And I really didn't interrupt him so that he can just share his thoughts and share his wisdom with so much of what will help our climate, our planet, our people, the animals. And it's just a lot of information to really take in. And you may have to listen to this twice, but it's a lot of good information to really think about what we're doing with all this new science, all this new stuff that when we mess with nature, how does that impact us in the long term? Joel Salatin is an American farmer, lecturer, and author. The Salatin family raises livestock on his polyface farm in Swoop, Virginia, and he considers himself a Christian libertarian environmentalist, capitalist, lunatic farmer. When Joel explains a lot about regenerative agriculture and just healing the lands by letting nature run its course, it's really powerful. And I hope that when you listen or watch this conversation, it really hits home as to why meat-based is not a diet that's wrong for us or not meant for us, but why it's actually ideal. And even the proper treatment of animals so that it heals our soils. And a lot of these things are so important. You'll learn a lot more about cows, carbon, and climate, and why that even matters, and how monocropping is actually impacting our planet in an adverse way. Let's get right into the conversation. Hi, Joel. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm very excited. I'm, as I just told you offline that I quoted you in my carnivore cure book. So I'm super excited for people listening and watching to learn more about you. If you can just um, introduce yourself. Sure. So thank you. It's great to be with you. It's a real honor and a delight. Uh, I'm Joel Salatin and our family owns Polyface Farm here in Virginia, Shenandoah Valley. Uh, my parents bought this property in 1961. So I was just four years old grew up here and came back to the farm after college. And my dad was a, you know, was a a innovative uh, ecologist, economist, and uh, did a lot of uh, interesting experiments. And he never made a living from the farm. He was an accountant. My mom was a school, was a 
uh, girls health and phys ed school teacher before Title IX, and then, of course, had both of them after Title IX. And so, you know, the typical, the off-farm, the off-farm jobs paid for the farm, uh, paid for the mortgage. And so by the time I was a late teen, here we had this land and, you know, not a salary. Anyway, I, you know, I took a love to it, came back full-time September 24, 1982, after a brief stint at the local newspaper where I was an investigative reporter and did, did the, you know, the farming on the, the farming and, and working in town uh, deal for a couple of years. And um, so here we are, we're in, we're in livestock, we're in uh, grass, we're in pastured livestock, beef, pork, chicken, eggs, duck, lamb, rabbit. Uh, I think I got them all. And, uh, and of course, uh, and forestry projects as well. We have a lot of woods, we have a sawmill, so we do a lot of uh, lumber as well. And what would you say is really different from polyface farms versus like the conventional farms that you see? Oh, well, there are a, there are a lot of difference. Uh, uh, for one thing, uh, we don't buy any chemical fertilizer. So the fact that the Russian and Ukraine thing that's increased the fertilizer cost, that doesn't affect us at all. Uh, what we do use, though, is we use carbon. We run a carbon economy. So we're doing large scale composting. With pigs, by the way, not with big machines, and, and so the first order I say would be would be uh, no chemical fertilizers and composting. Second, I would say is the just the variety of animals that we use that we have, uh, just all of the, the the different kinds of of animals that we have, and then they move all the time. They're not confined in factory houses. They're on pasture. They're at high density and moved uh, daily or almost daily to fresh, you know, fresh paddocks, fresh spots. So there's this complete animal uh, uh, ballet or choreography going on, and so it's 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 pasture based with moved animals, and then you know of course another big one is that we're very people centric. So we direct market everything. We don't sell it at the grain elevator or the you know the auction house or the you know the big processor. We uh, direct market everything to neighbors uh, and and you know people in the area, as well as now uh, since 2019 we now ship nationwide as well. So between the carbon, the organic matter, the animals, the diversity of animals, the relationships of the animals, and the direct marketing, we're definitely on the lunatic fringe. (laughs) And I love it. And, And if you can just maybe break it down for us as to why that even matters with carbon, with regenerative agriculture, like why does it matter that these animals are with different animals and that they're doing this fine dance, like why does that matter? Sure. Well, it matters the because carbon in the soil. I mean, the the organic matter, and and I'm I'm being a layman here. I'm not being a scientist, but that's close enough for for what we need to talk about. The, the organic matter in the soil is what ultimately feeds the biology of the soil. The soil is a is a living thing, and if you take an orange. And you think about how deep the orange is, the color on the skin. If the orange were the earth, that coloring is how deep the soil is. That's what's between us and starvation. And so it's pretty important what happens to that little thin skin uh, on the earth, because that's what we all depend on for food. And that's what grow. That's what has the earthworms and and the actinomycetes and the mycorrhizae and all the the things that are required to grow nutrient dense foods. Without them, you can kind of artificially make things happen, but it's not nutritional. You can make an egg in a factory house, but you can't make a nutritious egg in a factory house. 
And we we have empirical data. There's plenty of studies that have showed the differences in the nutrient density, pasture-based meats versus confinement-based things. And so essentially, we we have to understand, if I back up a little bit, uh, we have to understand that 500 years ago, North America produced way more food than it does today. And so in a time of, of food uncertainty and where people are being concerned about food security, I think it's important for us to appreciate that if more food was produced 500 years ago, it behooves all of us to think about, well, how was all that food produced? Now, it wasn't all consumed by humans. You know, we had 200 million beavers that ate more vegetables than all the humans on North America today. We had 2 million wolves uh, that each needed 20 pounds of meat a day. And we had uh, flocks of passenger pigeons that were so big and dense, they blocked out the sun for three days, according to uh, the naturalist Audubon. So uh, it wasn't all consumed by humans, but it was produced nonetheless. And so what you see when you when you start into an examination of the patterns that produced all of this, and, and this was not just in North America, it was in Australia, it was in New Zealand, it was in Europe, it was in Eurasia, it was everywhere, um, this tremendous production. Uh, what you see is is extremely complex interrelationships within the plant animal community. You don't see segregation. Right. You see integration. And, and and so you don't see separation. You see symbiosis. And so our entire industrial food and farming system is now predicated on a mechanical view of biology or of life, let's say, a mechanical view of life rather than a biological view of life. It's a mechanical view and it's all predicated on separating and division rather than putting things together. And of course, as you know, in the in the field of nutrition, uh, we have compartmentalized nutrients, you know, this and this and this, and, and and we think we can just synthesize them in a laboratory and it's all good. But but we also know that how they come together in a in a natural product, a, a T-bone steak, whatever, uh, w- w- when you have all of those together, you have a totally different thing than if you just uh, fabricate artificials and try to duplicate that uh, artificially. And so there's a lot of the monocropping, as they say, in terms of the whole conventional farming where they just raise corn over and over. And you talk about how that's so not ideal for the planet and and how doing what Polyface Farms does is actually beneficial for the planet. So can you talk a little bit about why monocropping, doing the soy, sure. wheat, corn is not ideal? And Sure. Yeah, well, we can even we can even back up a little bit and talk about annuals versus perennials. I think that that would be a better that'd be a good starting point to have this discussion because nature actually while there are uh annuals of so, so uh, make sure we don't lose anybody here. Annuals are plants that live for one year, make a seed, and then have to be replanted next year. Perennials are plants that live uh, beyond one year. So the, the the grasses, the prairie grasses and things, those are perennials. Trees are perennials. They don't have to be replanted every year. Whereas corn, soybeans, barley, wheat, uh, squash, watermelons, uh, those are annuals and, and they have to be planted every year. And so it, the 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 critical thing to understand from an ecological energy standpoint is that perennials pull solar energy you know it's all it's all chlorophyll photosynthesis it takes solar energy pulls it down into the soil and puts its energy in the soil 
because the perennial can't depend on a seed to keep it going. It, it needs to withstand a drought, a blizzard, a hot, a cold, uh, and it depends on under the ground. So it it puts its bank account, if you will, its its energy savings account under the ground, whereas an annual depends on above ground propagation. So it makes a big seed, a big grain, a big a big fruit, a big something above ground. And so it tends to be energy extractive of the soil and putting all this uh, energy above ground. The perennial is the opposite. It takes this energy and puts it into the soil. And so, you know, when people say, well, you know, cows are inefficient, of course they're inefficient. If everything was as efficient as watermelon and squash, we would not have any soil. And, and that's why even in organic non-chemical, you know, uh, uh, production schemes, you know, gardens and things, they still depend on the addition of animal-based uh, compost to keep the soil fertile uh, because there, there is no animal-less ecology. All ecologies have animals. Why? It's because animals are this great recycler. Uh, the animal is the ultimate compost pile. You know, if, if you build a compost pile, it's a little bit technical. You know, you, if it gets too dry or too wet or you don't have enough carbon or you've got too much nitrogen or or whatever, you know, there, there's there's a whole, you know, recipe here for, for making a, a good thing of carbon. But when a cow, for example, ingests carbon, like weeds and leaves and things like that, it goes into her insides. And guess what? They're always the right temperature. They're always the right microbes. They're always the right moisture. And so the animal can do to biomass, it can recycle biomass way more efficiently and with less risk than biomass recycled with, you know, a compost pile or just with, um, you know, over time with decomposition. And so think about an animal as a very rapid decomposition, you know, item. And it, it helps us to appreciate the role of animals uh, on the planet. They, they, they serve, especially the herbivores, serve a, a tremendous uh, advantage. And that's why the world is so full of herbivores, because these perennials, they grow very rapidly, but they, they go into senescence rapidly. Uh, you know, a, a grass plant may, may in, in 60 days go from germination to seed and senescence in 60 days. So they need to be pruned back to restart the rapid solar conversion process. And, uh, and, and the pruner is the herbivore. That's the ultimate uh, pruner. And, and so that's how this works. So, so monocropping, when you, when you take away the perennial and you go to an annual monocrop year after year after year, what you do over time is, very, is you deplete the soil. Uh, in fact, right now, I think the general rule is to create to, uh, uh, every bushel of corn costs us two bushels of soil. And, and, and now, you know, we have a dead zone the size of Rhode Island in the Gulf of Mexico from silt, erosion, runoff, and turbidity that's created by, by the soil degradation in the entire Mississippi uh, drainage area. So, you know, this is, this is a big deal. And so nature doesn't have monocrops. Nature moves toward diversity. Right. And so, you know, do I use some corn? Yes, yes, we do. But uh, we should use as little of it as possible, not as much of it as possible. So the dead zone, for example, if we were to put a lot of animals over there, could we bring back the soil one day? 
Oh, absolutely. You know, if we if we converted that entire, you know, Mississippi drainage area, if we converted that back to prairie, which it was, you know, uh, 500 years ago, not only would it be way more productive, it would actually build soil and create legacy soil for the future. The the, the monocrops that we're still producing in, in the Midwest are still uh, exploiting the buildup of organic matter that came from the prairie grasses, the bison and the wolves and the pheasants and the elk and the deer and the prairie chickens uh, and the passenger pigeons. We're still leveraging that wealth today. So, you know, there's a lot of thoughts with, well, the the animals, especially the cows, are ruining the planet with the greenhouse gases, with the burping methane. What are your thoughts with that? I mean, we just obviously talked about your farm, but what are your thoughts? With that? Sure. Well, first of all, the entire greenhouse gas theory is missing the boat. GHGs only account for about 5% of climate temperature uh, fluctuation, 95% is water condensation. And the the problem is that we don't have now the vegetation uh, through tillage, through overgrazing. We now don't have the vegetation creating the bacteria that exudes up from vegetation, from foliage to give particles for water vapor to condense on. Basically, water vapor is the earth's radiator. So uh, greenhouse gases are only 5% of the entire, you know, cooling, the whole cyclical cooling pattern. 95% is, is water vapor. And so we have, you know, expanding desertification. We have, we have uh, um, enormous dust storms, uh, which are an, an anti-condensation particulate. And, and this is why over the tropics, you know, the, the jungles, uh, you get cloud formation routinely because of all that foliage exuding the, this bacteria. So what we need is far more vegetation. How do you get more vegetation? Well, first of all, you you reduce uh, uh, plowing and and denuding the soil. The second is overgrazing. So here's the deal, Judy. um, Let's say that you and I uh, lived on Pluto and we looked down at the earth and we said, you know, um, I wonder what kind of education system they have down there. Um, could we get a, you know, a volunteer to go down and check out their education system? So, you know, you and I volunteer, we get in a flying saucer, we come down to the earth and we land in in the schoolyard of a school district that has the worst superintendent in a school that has the worst principal. And we go visit a classroom that has the worst teacher and the worst kids. And we watch this for two days. We go back to Pluto. They say, well, what did you learn? And you know what we'd say? We'd say, well, my goodness, if that's the way education works, they'd be better not to have any schools. And that's exactly what's happened with this whole burping, you know, cow methane deal is that the studies have been on the current orthodoxy. Well, the current, the the orthodoxy right now, the conventional production system couldn't be more dysfunctional. In nature, herbivores exhibit three three basic characteristics. Number one, they're moving. They don't stay in the same place. Number two, they're mobbed up for predator protection. They're not spread all out. Number three, they're mowing. You know, they're not eating, they're not eating corn. They're not eating, uh, 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 you know, chicken manure. Uh, They're they're mowing or, or pruning. Okay. So moving, mobbing, mowing. 
98%, maybe 99% of all of the domestic livestock in the world does not do moving, mobbing, and mowing. If you violate one of those three, you move asset to liability. You move positive to negative. You move regeneration and function to dysfunction. And and midst, and I would say most domestic livestock doesn't just violate one of those principles. It violates all three of them. You know, think about a cow, a beef feedlot. You know, they're not moving. I guess they are mobbed up, uh, but they're but they're not mobbed up. They're not mobbing across the landscape. They're they're simply uh, standing in their own toilet, and and they certainly aren't pruning anything. They aren't they aren't mowing anything. And so, you know, that's a violation of all three of these principles. And so you can do the same thing with, you know, with chickens or whatever. There's there's a role for animals, but we have taken them out of their historic pattern, out of their role, and that moves them from positive function to negative dysfunction. And that's what is being studied because that's what's uh, that's what's conventional right now. And, you know, scientists tend to study... They tend to study what's normal, you know, and and what's normal now is very dysfunctional. Hey, guys, just to let you know, my Carnivore Cure book is back in stock. For nine months, it was out of print and used prices were up to $300. Make sure to get your copy today that has over 200 colored tables and graphics and over 400 pages of meaty goodness. We have a limited supply, so get your copy today on Amazon.com. And if you can leave a review, I'd be super grateful. Right. But even within the animals, it seems like it's a small percentage of the entire climate heating. Is that correct? Uh, yes, that, that is that is correct. I mean, uh, uh, what is it? Eighty-five uh, percent of the methane is produced in wetlands. Here's another element. There is a, there is methanotrophic bacteria in pasture. In healthy pasture, has methanotrophic bacteria. This is a freestanding bacteria. Okay, in, in healthy pastures, that methanotrophic bacteria reaches out, grabs, and and metabolizes the amount of methane that would produ- be produced by a thousand cows per acre. Well, nobody's going to put a thousand cows per acre on a pasture. All right. But that methanotrophic bacteria does not live in a feedlot. It does not live in a confinement situation. It does not live on concrete. It does not live in manure lagoons. It does not live in cornfields and monocrops. It lives in diversified, healthy pastures. And so nature has answers for every single issue. In fact, in nature, the cow burp is pulled by methanotrophic bacteria, pulled into the soil as a fertilizer, okay? But 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 when you when you break that and you don't have healthy pasture and you overgraze or you you confine them in a feedlot when when you violate moving mobbing and mowing in any respect suddenly the methanotrophic bacteria cannot operate it does not work and, and so so all of these natural safeties that are built in 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 creation when they're violated they can't work just like anything you know when you quit telling your spouse you love them uh it doesn't work right you know when you eat junk uh it doesn't work when you when you hate your neighbor it doesn't work so for me it's so simple to see how this is supposed to work 
so our studies and our scientific journals and our Lancet articles and our and and our and our Impossible Burger and Beyond Meat and and Bill Gates and the whole deal is all predicated on a completely broken dysfunctional production model. Agreed. Agreed. And then what about your thoughts with the water? So that's another argument that um, a lot of people say is, well, the cows, even if they weren't ruining everything with the greenhouse gases, they completely take a lot of water. But obviously, there's differences with blue, green and gray. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, well, let's let, let, let's drill down on that a, a bit. Yeah, the, the studies that say, you know, a T-bone steak takes whatever, a thousand gallons of water. I mean, I don't know the, the statistics right off my head, but it's a complete sham. Think about this. A cow urinates five gallons a day. That's a lot of water. Okay. Uh, now I realize it's not water. Don't don't miss. <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm fair enough to know that urine is not water, but but it's primarily water. Okay. So the water that the that the animal intakes, it excretes almost all of it. Very little is actually metabolized into the animal. It's 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 just like the water that we we drink. Most of it is excreted. Some right. of it's used. Most of it's excreted. Furthermore, if the cow is handled correctly with a healthy pasture, there is no quicker way or more risk-free way to build organic matter in the soil than with perennial forages, okay? And then when you, if you add compost to it and you, and you do that, then, of course, you can build it even more. So I'll just give you, on our farm, for example, in 1961, when we came here, the first soil samples that we took uh, our farm averaged less than 1% organic matter, okay? Less than 1%. Today, we average more than 8% organic matter. Now, every 1% organic matter in the soil, so organic matter is is like spongy. It's like little, you know, it's uh, organic matter is like little leaves and, and sticks and you know, decomposing carbon material. So it's, it's, it's the sponginess of the soil. In organic matter, every 1% organic matter in the soil holds, are you ready for this? Every 1% holds 20,000 gallons of water oh, wow. per acre, per acre. All right. So on our farm, we have gone from 1% to more than eight. Let's just say one to eight. That is seven clicks, seven percentages Seven times 20,000 is 140,000 gallons. That's 140,000 gallons of water per acre that our farm can now hold today that it couldn't hold in 1961. And, And that is a direct result of building organic matter, you know, through the perennial through. It's the same way that all soils have been built. If you go throughout the planet and say, where are the good soils? They're never under forests, and they're not under bushes. They're under prairies, right. uh, whether it's it's the American Midwest here in the Shenandoah Valley here, or you go to the Pampas of Argentina, you go to the, the Serengeti in Africa, you go to the steppes of, of Outer Mongolia. All of these deep-soiled areas were all built with perennial grasses and megafauna. Megafauna being everything from from deer to mastodons and, and elephants. So that that relationship, we know that's how soil is built because grass grasses are way more efficient at 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 solar energy into carbon at carbon sequestration than trees. Now it's counterintuitive. I understand. You look at a forest, they well look at all that carbon. 
but that that's 80 years of accumulated carbon. Sure. If you go out on your lawn and you you took a square yard and you uh, every time you mowed, you you kept the grass off of that. You put it in a bag and you put it in an outbuilding and you did that for 80 years. And at 80 years, you went out and said, here's here's the the the, the biomass, the carbon that was produced on this square yard. You would realize very quickly, oh, wow, that's more than the forest. And, and so that's why these deep soils were always built under grasses with the pruning herbivore going across them. Remember, moving, mobbing, and mowing. And if they violate any of those, it's not good farming. And in, in North America, of course, most farmers don't move their animals. They put them out on a, on a pasture and they leave them there year round. And uh, they collect whatever grows in the fall and they overgraze, overeat. They kill the good stuff, let the weeds grow and, uh, and and spray the weeds. And they do this every year, every year, every year, every year. And it's simply it's a G- degenerating trajectory rather than a regenerating trajectory. You know, based on everything you're saying, it seems so simple. The answer, whether it's for climate, whether it's for the um, the betterment of the animals and their treatment and even just our land. Why aren't we just shifting back to that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, there there are a couple of reasons. Uh, I mean, the, the, the quick answer is that what I'm describing takes a tremendous amount of thinking Mm. and thinking is the hardest work we do. Uh, You know, it's a lot easier to just go out and run a machine than to think about whether we should run a machine. I don't want to be trite, but but yes, a lot of it is this whole. It does take a lot more care, a lot more th- a lot more planning and thinking. It and and of course, you and I know that making a decision is the hardest thing a human has to do. Right? Is making a decision. We, we'd rather do anything than make a decision. So decision making is difficult. And so what we do, we're not farming based on the advice of a salesman or some expert or some computer printout. We're, we're doing it based on daily observation, monitoring, auditing, our own record keeping. Uh, it's, a, it's truly a choreography in, 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 the, in the pasture. Um, that's one. So the second one is that the orthodox, the conventional uh, whatever uh, uh, system is completely enamored of a mechanical paradigm. If you separate East from West, okay, Eastern is all about holism, connections, we're all related, you know, it's real uh, uh, a feely oriented, you know, Eastern thought would not have given us electricity. It would have simply still been awed at lightning. Okay. Western, which is, you know, Greco-Roman Western reductionist systematic compartmentalized thinking gives us mechanics. It gives us engineering mechanics and, and, and how does this, you know, parts and pieces and, and, and that that's mechanical. Well, Life has both elements. It, it, yes, it does have parts and pieces and mechanics, but but it also has this mysterious, how does it go together? How does it, you can't just fabricate a baby. You can't just fabricate an oak tree. There, there is something way beyond just, uh, um, you know, a, a part. And, and so in our Western thinking, where we're products of the kind of the, the Greco-Roman, you know, Western reductionist thought, uh, as as Westerners, and, and I, I speak for myself, you know, I, I feel like my whole life, what I what I've had to wrestle with is I have I've had to pour Easternism on my Westernism. I'm from that you know that Western uh, DNA, if you will. But I recognize now how much of that does not explain very important things in life. It does not explain it. 
it, it certainly doesn't explain love, okay? It, it doesn't explain uh, ethics. It doesn't. And so, for example, when we when we say that it does matter whether we honor the pigness of the pig, for example, whether our pigs are happy or not, you know, the, the average farm doesn't care if his pigs are happy. I mean, when's the last time you saw a land grant university do a study on how to make happy pigs? No, it's it's viewing pigs as just protoplasmic stuff. And how do we make them grow faster, fatter, bigger, cheaper? In fact, how do we extract the DNA, the stress DNA from their genetic material so we can abuse them and confine them and 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 disrespect them more, but they won't be stressed about it? Ultimately, a culture that that refuses to ask, how do we make happy pigs, will refuse to ask, how do we make a happy Judy or a happy Tom? It, it, right. it, it won't ask because it, it is that question that creates the ethical boundary over what our science is capable of doing. We're very smart. We're, you know, we're very smart as humans. And we can create things that we can't spiritually, physically, or ethically, or spiritually metabolize. And so what happens is we overrun our headlights. I mean, a perfect example is, you know, 40 years ago when the experts all told farmers like me, they took us to free steak dinners and said, ah, here's the new scientific way to grow cows. We're going to we're going to grind up cows and cook them down and feed dead cows to cows. And, you know, I looked at that and said, whoa, wait a minute. I'm not sure about this. Uh, In fact, I'm sure I don't like it, you know, Uh, and and, and I, I looked around the world. And I said, where does an herbivore eat carrion? Where is it? And I couldn't see it. Herbivores eat, they eat grass, they eat plants. They, they don't eat carrion. They don't eat meat. And so farmers like me did not buy into that. Now, we didn't know that 20 or 30 years later, there would be bovine spongiform encephalopathy, also known as mad cow. We didn't know that, but, but we knew that that template violated a clear order a clear creation order that, that was set up. And, and so we didn't know what would be the consequences. But when you come to this humbly, respectfully, you step into the, the majesty and the mystery of life gently. You don't step into it like a swashbuckling sailor saying, ah, I'm going to go, you know, claim this DNA for me and file a patent. And, you know, that, and that, that's what we've got now is, is, is we've got this kind of conquistador mentality. Uh, it's all in my domain. There is no divine. There is no providence. And and I can just wade in here, buy it, take it, trade it, sell it, remodel it, however I want to. And there's no ethical moral framework on which to hang anything. There is no absolute truth. There is no ethical framework. There is no uh, uh, actual morality. And, and when you head down that path, what you have then, you have incredible cheating. You have you have cheating and shortcutting within the system. And then you get a dead zone the size of the Rhode Island in the Gulf of Mexico. You get three-legged salamanders, infertile frogs, eagle eggs that won't hatch. You get non-Hodgkin's lymphoma from, from glyphosate. You get, uh, you know, I can go on. You, you, you get food allergies. And until I was 30 years old, the phrase food allergy did not even exist. Wow. It, it, it did not even exist. You know, you can have a birthday party for your kiddos and you don't have to call all the other moms and say, uh, hey, you know, we're going to serve this refreshment. Is that OK with you? No, you, everybody came and you, you enjoyed the food. And so as we have abused and disrespected our food from tomato plants to piggies, as we have dis, as we have fought violently against nature's template in food 
and farming and landscape management, guess what? Nature has a balance sheet and nature's going to balance that out with things like food allergy, MRSA, C. diff, Campylobacter, E. coli, Salmonella. These are all a lexicon that have come in very recent years, very recent years. And, and they didn't use, and then, and then type two diabetes and, uh, you know, all sorts of issues um, that, that have come as a result. You cannot fight against God's design in nature. You know, it's very forgiving. It's amazing how forgiving it is. It'll take a lot of blows, just like a person can take a lot of abuse and still come out. On, but but eventually it's not going to work. And, and that's and that's that's what we're seeing. And I struggle with that all the time, because being in the evidence based research, you see all the the ways that humans use all this new science and research to then pick out DNAs or pick out certain things. And we're like you said, we're we're almost adulterating the way natural life's supposed to be. And it, I almost, when you were comparing Eastern Western, I thought of, we are refining things and all about eff- efficiency and effectiveness, but taking out some of the soul of a lot of that, which we don't understand. And we can't really define that by science. And then the aftermath of it all is now we're going down these paths of, well, let's grow lab grown meat or lab grown dairy. And it's perfectly the same because we pulled the DNA And my concern with all of that is, and even with the lab grown meats and it's, how do we know it's exactly the same? And my gut is that it won't be. And then when people have autoimmune or that are struggling and the only thing they can tolerate is meat, and now we're starting to grow them in these labs, how do we know that now we're removing any options for these people? And it makes me incredibly sad. It it is certainly not the same. If I may just indulge you one little little, uh, picture so imagine a monocrop of corn or, or, or soybeans that's going to go into as the as the feed source for a lab grown meat. All right. Compare that, compare that simple, that simple item to a steer, a, a beef animal that is grazing on a cornucopia of diversified forages. There are, are plants that love heat, plants that love cold, plants that make tap roots, plants that make spreader roots, plants that like shade plants that like direct sun and 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 uh, herbs and forbs and weeds and grasses and legumes every one of these concentrates a different group of minerals vitamins enzymes all of these things and so you get that complexity in the tissue of the animal it's one of the fastest ways right now that Americans can diversify their microbiome you know the the, the native americans ate something like you know, 2000 different kinds of things. American, modern Americans, we only eat about 25 or 30 different kinds of things. Mainly we eat about 15. And so one of the fastest ways to diversify your microbiome is to get meat, eggs, poultry from animals that have been on a diversified pasture platform, if you will, that, that gives the diversity into the tissue. You are not going to get that from, from, fake lab meat. It's all going to be simplified. It, it's not going to be nearly that nuanced. And I, I mean, even the fact that the the saliva of, listen to this, the saliva of the cow, when she nips off a piece of grass, the saliva from her mouth acts as a, as a salve. Those microbes, they, they help to close up the wound from where she ripped the grass off and they stimulate the grass to grow better Wow. Be, be, there, there's a symbiotic relationship. 
you, it, that's why mowed grass, like from art, you know, a, a mechanical mower, it never grows back as fast as as grazed grass because it doesn't have that ameliorative saliva dripping down from the cow. Uh, and there's now even research showing that even even the the breath pigs pigs and you know we run pigs through the woods and and the pigs are actually as they snuffle along they're sniffing in uh spores from from molds you know toadstools fungi and as they move around they actually spread that fungi uh, around through the woods and act as a as a relocator you know as a disseminator of that diversity and so it's just magnificent beyond explanation and to think we're just going to make some, take some soybean and beets for blood. And, you know, and, and we're, we're going to just throw this together in a concoction. And let me say one more thing about that. When there are few things as uh, that, that lend themselves to, to food tyranny as much as fake meats, because with a, let's just take a cow or a sheep or a goat, as long as the sun shines and it rains and you have green material you can have milk, you can have uh, meat, that's all you need. Right. But if what you need is a is a billion dollar laboratory to synthesize your sustenance coming through a supermarket channel that you can't see and can't control and has guard towers with no trespassing signs around it, that is the ultimate system that is conducive to a non-democratic access to sustenance. If there's one thing that needs to be uh, egalitarian and democratically accessible, it is sustenance and real food grown in your in your backyard, your own carrots, your own or, or your neighbors. I'm, I'm just uh, but things you and I can do this. You see, all you need is is a is a spot of ground and you can get beef. You can get pork. You can get an egg. You know, you can get carrots and potatoes. And and real food is ultimately grown with sun, soil, and air, and that's all you need. You don't need a billion dollar laboratory and a delivery truck, and that that is ultimately freeing and liberating for all of us. And that really brings wellness for all, and I love that. It's also I think there's been research about the Beyond Burgers and all those fake patties where they actually cause more greenhouse gases from some of the stuff they emit in those yes. labs. And it's just very labor and costly and a lot of other things. And then on top of that, price per pound for these meats are so incredibly high, but they've done such a great job marketing that it's better for the planet, better for the health of the person. And it's yeah. so unfortunate because you're paying more for toxic foods. And what are your thoughts with all of the plant-based people that are going vegan and vegetarian and and then like the hydroponics and all of these new, I mean, I know it kind of goes into what we've been talking about, What, but what are your thoughts with all this? Yeah, well, my thoughts are, I think there, there are two things. There are kind of two threads that move people to this. One thread is ecology and 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 health. You know, I'm doing this for to be ecologically proper, you know, a good steward, and I, I want to take care of my body. So you've got the health, the health of the person, health of the planet. Uh, that's one thread. The other thread is that animals uh, are people. And my dog is my cat is my aunt is my, you know, so you have this thing that, I mean, I've certainly been called a murderer many times by people, you know, and I've even been told you, you can't possibly 
even express love because you kill all these things. And those those are two very different things. To the one where it's murder, I would simply say everything is eating and being eaten. And if you don't believe it, go lie naked in your flower bed for three days and see what gets eaten. Uh, I mean, if if there the, the the cycle of life, death, decomposition, regeneration, life, death, decomposition, regeneration that that is that is the the, the cycle of you know, it, it's an object lesson of spiritual truth. Right. Um, you know, we live, we die to self, we we decompose to our own self, and we're we're regenerated in. Uh, well, I believe in Christ, but but anyway, right. uh, you, you know, you 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 have this you have this uh, this cycle, and so so nothing nothing brings that out better than a compost pile, for example. You know, you you put this raw stuff in, it, it dies, it decays, then it, it then it grows the best cucumbers you've ever had, right? Because it regenerates and. Uh, it feeds life. So everything is eating and being eaten. And, and we need to get over this idea that that my cat is my aunt, is my dog, is my you know child. And the fact that we can even, that we're even spending time having this discussion is an indicator, not of a newfound place of spiritual nirvana, but rather a, a newfound, a profound disconnect with our dependency on an ecological umbilical that demands sacrifice in order for life to happen. Now, on the, I, I think I think we we discussed the um, you know the planetary health fairly well the, again, but the physical health again, um, the 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 study the the things a you know and I know that science as we know it has been extremely adulterated uh, studies you know depends on who pays for the study and what they find i mean the, the china study is a perfect example of cherry picking you know certain things so I, I i would simply suggest to people i would simply ask to people does it make sense that pre 1900 when there was essentially no cancer no heart disease virtually no obesity certainly no diabetes uh, no no autism no autoimmune disease does it make sense that the foods that were eaten before 1900, and yeah, that's a good, Michael Pollan uh, uh, writes about that. He he says, you know, basically we shouldn't eat anything that wasn't available before 1900. And, and does it make sense that all of these modern recent diseases have been caused because for the first time in our lives, we're eating things we can't pronounce. We're eating things made in a lab. We're eating things you can't make in your kitchen. We've got long ingredient lists instead of short ingredient lists. Uh, It's highly processed, not minimally processed. And no, no, it it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense that that these diseases, that, that something about since 1900 and the industrialization of food and the manipulation of food, it doesn't make sense that our current health crisis has nothing to do with that kind of manipulation. That if we went back to unprocessed, uh, compost-grown, you know, uh, non-chemical food, we would probably eliminate most. It's just reasonable. It's just right. reasonable to think that. And of course, you know, again, my my joke about that is we can all be thankful that hot dogs were introduced at the 1890 World's Fair. You know, so hot dogs just came in ten years under the you know under the uh, <laughs> under the benchmark for what's uh, what's okay. You know, the, the nutrition of food is very different as you know right. i mean we we participated several years ago in a in a pastured egg study 
where we sent our eggs out to a lab in Washington. There were 12 of us around the country with pastured eggs. We sent them out to a lab in, in Washington. And I'll just give you one ingredient, uh, folic acid. Folic acid is really important for pregnant women. Right. And um, and the, the USDA uh, nutrition label on an egg carton, you buy it in the store, it'll say that an egg has 48 micrograms of folic acid in it. Uh, our eggs here at, at Polyface tested 1,038 micrograms per egg. Wow. So you, we're not talking about little 10% deviations. You know, uh, grass-finished beef, um, 300% more riboflavin than, um, you know, than, than grain-finished beef. You know, uh, um, you know, conjugated linoleic acid, CLA, right. uh, it, only takes, it, it, it only takes about 14 days of grain feeding to, uh, you know, to chase all the CLA out of the body. So, you know, there, there are major nutrition differences. I, I think it just goes back to if we just let nature be and run its course, but it's with whether it's the great marketing and the fear mongering of cholesterol causing heart disease, and then all of us eating all these processed foods with all the long laundry list of ingredients that then cause us to have brain fog where we don't even think because it's so logical and it makes so much sense when you just yeah. have a conversation of you really think it's the cows that's been around since day one and, and it's <laughs> but it's affecting our health. So it makes a lot of sense. But, you know, as the economy is getting really shaky nowadays and the, you know, people keep saying that we need to have a meat tax and stuff. How do you recommend that we afford meat being our primary food? How do we keep it economical? Yeah, so there are several ways to make it economical. Um, the, the first one is to realize that you you make choices about what you buy. Okay. And uh, so whenever somebody says, I can't afford your stuff, I say, here, let's go to your house. We're not going to find any soft drinks. We're not going <laughs> to find tobacco. We're not going to find coffee. We're not going to find uh, iPhones. We're not going to find... Um, Junk food, takeout, DiGiorno's frozen pizza. Well, we're you know we're not gonna. And you start down this list, and you realize, ooh, wow, uh, people really do have a lot of choice in what they buy. Second thing is buy unprocessed. You know, right now today, uh, you can buy our chicken, our pastured chicken, GMO free. Uh, you know, first class, less per pound than boneless, skinless breasts at Walmart. So when you buy unprocessed, you save a lot of money. And and then the next thing is to buy in bulk. Don't buy pieces and parts. Buy by volume. We we have a thing we call the larder. If you buy ten chickens, you get a huge discount. Why? Because we're uh, depositing a much bigger check. You know, it's, it's it's just easier. We're you know we're handling more money per transaction. Uh, get a quarter beef. So so get a chest freezer uh, that you can buy bulk and um, and and go directly to the farmer. Cut out that middleman. What's very interesting right now is that many of us in this space are seeing our prices relative to supermarket prices go down in comparison because we're not subject to Ukrainian wheat and Russian fertilizer and so and 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 our smaller businesses we don't have you know the HR department concern about somebody getting covid and you know and and suing us because we didn't have the right quarantine procedures over in you know room 231 and those sorts of things and so our little speedboats are able to navigate this new dysfunction a lot easier than the aircraft carriers of Cargill and Tyson and 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 Purdue some of the big uh and Smithfield some of the big outfits and so there is an I mean Tyson just raised the price of their beef 32% wow. uh, we've raised it we've raised it 10% and that's plenty 
And so we're actually seeing some of our prices lower than what's in the supermarket for the first time in my life, uh, because ultimately nature bats last <laughs> and, and, and biology beats out chemistry. Ultimately, sometimes it takes half a century for efficiency to give way to resiliency. Sometimes it takes a long time. There's a law, there's a, a slinky effect. Eventually, truth comes out and uh, and nature bats last. It was interesting. Um, I think of the best eggs being corn-free, soy-free fed chickens that are pasture-raised and organic. And those are always the most expensive at the grocery store. But just the other day we went and it was only a dollar difference for the dozen eggs of those versus the dozen that are the, no label, nothing. And I, mm-hmm. I was shocked. So yes, I totally see that. As a, a shepherd of the land and of meeting so many different people that come to visit your farm and just the animals you've raised, like what are some, I don't know, some great life lessons that you've learned along the way? Oh, great life lessons. Uh, <laughs> you, you mean just from, from farm or from the people who come? A shepherd of the land, people uh, that you've, I, just yeah. whatever comes to mind. <laughs> well, uh, life lessons, um, I, I would say there's several. Uh, one one would certainly be good enough is perfect. A lot of times people are, are intimidated or, or scared to try uh, something, whether it's a new recipe, a new product, a new something, a new idea. And, um, you know, it, 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 it doesn't have to be perfect for you to try it. Secondly, I would say if, if it's if it's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly first. That's the kind of a corollary of that. But if it's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly first. We have this voice in our back of our head, you know, uh, some uh, probably some uh, grandma, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing right. Well, I've got news for you. Grandma was wrong. The truth is, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly first. So what if your first attempt at cooking from scratch fails? It's okay. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly first because we don't do anything. We don't do anything well first. I would say another big one is make little little baby steps. Um, don't worry about speed. Wor- just worry about trajectory. Are you doing better today than yesterday? That's all that matters. You, you, you don't you don't have to win the race tomorrow. Okay. Remember the the turtle the turtle won. The rabbit didn't. A- and so don't worry about speed. How fast you're getting there. Just worry about direction. Is the direction the right direct? Is the direction the right way? Uh, pe- people get frustrated. We we live in such impatient times, don't we? we you know, er- instant gratification. Uh, I want it tomorrow. I want to be there, whatever. And, and the truth is that the biological clock in the soil, uh, in the landscape, in your body, your biological clock, you are the summation of perhaps even generations that have come before you. And you're not going to rectify that in a day. And you so you have to stay with it. You just have to stay with you, persevere. You're faithful in staying with it and making those little improvements and celebrate those improvements and don't get frustrated and impatient. Make it's incremental, incremental, make those changes and you and you won't burn out on the way because you're frustrated at at, at failure to accelerate. No, just just um be satisfied with trajectory, and that's enough. I love that because I see a lot of people eat like the standard American diet. Then they learn about all these things and they say, starting tomorrow, I'm going to eat only regenerative agriculture, raw dairy, et cetera. And yeah. it's just goes this pendulum swing so much that it's susceptible to failure. And then they yes. get frustrated and hard on themselves. And then they go yeah. swing back the other way. 
Yeah, so it's, it's too hard. It's too hard. So I'm a big believer in the 80-20 rule. The 80-20 okay. rule. Okay. So so do 80 80% with intention and 20% gives you the fudge factor. That that lets you go and enjoy your, your nephew's birthday party where you're gonna pig out on ice cream and birthday cake. It's okay. You don't do that every day. You don't even do it once a week, okay? But but you don't want to be a bore. You don't want to ostracize your friends. 80-20 is good enough. If you do the right thing on 80%, you know, 20% is okay. Yes, you can have a Snickers bar once a month. Not every day, but you can have a Snickers. You know what I'm saying? Because you're, you're exactly right. The pendulum never hangs in the middle. It's always off plumb, always somewhere off plumb. And then we tend to overcorrect. And then we beat up ourselves or we get frustrated. So you got to give yourself a, a little bit of room to laugh and be, you know, and be a hypocrite once in a while. It, it's okay. You know, I'm, I love bananas. You know, I'm a, I'm a local, you know, I, I don't drink coffee, so I don't have that vice, but, you know, I do get bananas. Um, I, you know, I, I love bananas, so I get bananas. But, you know, it's okay to say, I'm going to be inconsistent here. Laugh about it. Be fun with it. But then be very serious and intentional about most of it. Yes. And it's just the day-to-day. And that's why I tell my clients sometimes it's just, sometimes it's just going meal by meal and not being overly self-critical because I think the mindset is so important. And when we start having that negative chatter in our minds, we become self-defeating and it makes it so much more difficult. I think- there is nothing as intoxicating as good food. I'll tell you, when people come here, eat our eggs and sausages, I'm not trying to make a promotion here, but I'm just, t- I mean, I had a lady come in to the to the store the other day. You know, she had a little six-year-old uh, son who was very small. He was tiny for six years old. She said, he, he just won't eat. He's a picky eater. He just, he just won't eat. And I said, tell you what, um, get a couple dozen eggs and, and, and try some of those with him. She called me the next week. She said, he's eating six eggs a day and I, I cannot fill him up with these eggs. Well, his body was craving something. And and I think that people don't realize how much difference there is in well in authentic, well-raised food versus the industry stuff. How much has your faith affected your advocacy with everything and I guess your approach to life? Sure. So yeah, my faith is... Um, is the bedrock. Uh, you know, I, I don't own this. I mean, the, the courthouse says we own this land. We don't. Uh, God owns it. It's all God's stuff. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I mean, you know, uh, the wealth in every mine, it's all his. And so my obligation, my responsibility is as a steward of his stuff. Yes. And, you know, if, if you think about, uh, think about your stuff, let's say you own a car and you lend it, and you lend it out to a friend. And if it comes back with a bunch of peanut butter smeared around the steering wheel and rips in the seats and a bunch of uh, whatever, uh, you know, trash pizza boxes in the back seat, you wouldn't feel very good about what, what I lent you my car and, and you trashed it, you know? So I'm thinking, what does God think when he looks down and sees erosion and gullies and rocks where there were forests and and sees a dead zone the size of back to the you know the size of Rhode Island in the Gulf of Mexico when he sees the, the frogs he created can't breed anymore because they're infertile due to uh, pesticide contamination the, the eagles he made it uh, uh, can't have babies because of pesticide uh, uh, toxic you know in, in their eggs this is God's stuff and I'd better be really intentional and serious about presenting more soil more water more breathable air 
more happy people. <laughs> that is my responsibility. And I'm honored and delighted to be his his hands, his feet in this great healing ministry. And that's exactly the way we see it. I love it. Thank you. I love I love that so much. And um, you're helping so many people and you're educating people about regenerative agriculture. I think you were the first farm I learned about when I started looking into that sort of research. So thank you. It's It's been a huge blessing. Um, I know that your farm does uh, tours. Uh, where can people even set up going to a tour and where can people learn more about your farm and more about you? Sure. So we have a pretty comprehensive website, uh, Polyface Farms. All you have to do is type in P-O-L-Y and it'll probably come up. Uh, it's the farm of many faces, Polyface Farms. Uh, go on the website. There's everything there from you know our mission statement to our core values to how we raise things to you know media things to tours to my speaking schedule if you want to come and hear me you know wax out on on all these things and and the tours we have we have gatherings uh, in fact we have one coming up next uh, next weekend the 12th and 13th is going to be uh, God's good table is going to be the the inaugural thing it's basically um nu- nutrition for the for the Christian for the faith community does God care a- about it and uh so that's going to be here the first time it's it's not ours it's 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 that organization okay. but we host uh, numerous tours uh, farm tours, lunatic tours. I'm, of course, the, the lunatic. Uh, we have a, the, the lunatic learning center where we host gatherings and, and uh, we have organizations come and, and do things here uh, and we can feed them. And the food is memorable, unlike a Sheraton, a Hilton or, a you know, a, a, you know, a Marriott uh, conference center. And so, yes, the, the website polyfacefarms.com and all my, I've written 15 books, you know, those are available there as well. And, and you can get plenty of swag and, and see what the schedule is. Well, thank you so much. Any last thoughts or, you know, tips that you want to part with the people that are listening and watching? The only thing that I, that I, I like to part with sometimes is to just encourage folks that you make a difference. So many times things are so big from family issues to political issues to global issues and we just feel like we're we're insignificant but the truth is that everything we see today everything our culture is today everything your family is today is a physical manifestation of the culmination of trillions and trillions of decisions that have been made before us and then by us and tomorrow's physical manifestation of our family our landscape our politics, our world, tomorrow's will also be a physical manifestation of the trillions and trillions of decisions that we make between now and whatever date you want to pick that's going to be out there. So you can't control everybody else, but you can control the decisions that you bring to that table. And I just encourage every person to realize that it's that decision made today, tomorrow, the next day by you, that that ultimately sways, it bends, it it has an effect on where that trajectory is going to go. And you never know who you're going to bump into or who you're going to be the inspiration for. And so please don't think you're insignificant. Uh, All of your decisions, your life, work, your energy is significant because it's part of that cumulative decision-making thing that's going to make the world our children will inherit.
Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. This has been an honor and a pleasure. Thank you again. Thank you. It's been great to be with you. Okay, guys, I hope that this conversation has enlightened you, has given you hope about the way that we're eating and even the way that we are treating our animals as well as our planet. I hope you get the chance to go visit his farm as I plan to do that in the very near future. If anything, I hope that this conversation shows that it's not about perfection, but it's about eating consistently on most days and not about reaching this unrealistic level of perfection. I hope that this conversation also gives you hope and it also gives you an understanding why eating animals or eating meat is not a bad thing, but it was actually part of what nature intended. Okay, guys, make sure to eat a lot of meat. Take care of your bodies because it is the only place you have to live. I will talk to you later. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening to the Nutrition with Judy podcast. If you liked what you heard today, please make sure to leave a five-star review on your favorite podcast app so more listeners like you can find the show. If you want more practitioner care and support, head over to nutritionwithjudy.com slash groups so you can get more real talk about carnivore, the environment, and root cause healing. You can also find my content on Nutrition with Judy's YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Make sure to sign up for my weekly newsletter and learn more about in-depth articles with infographics at nutritionwithjudy.com slash articles. You can find my two books, Carnivore Cure and the Complete Carnivore Diet for Beginners on carnivorecure.com and amazon.com. At the heart of Nutrition with Judy's practice, our mission lies with a deep, unwavering passion for service and community. We will continue to empower you to have the knowledge and tools to live a life nearly symptom-free because we firmly believe in healing and wellness for all.